0: hello and welcome to another episode of Live with Fire podcast the podcast that explores our relationship with wildfire and how we can better coexist with it in the future I'm your host Amanda Monti and today I am bringing you the second episode that we recorded at the International Association of Wildland Fire Conference in Edmonton Alberta last week it was a it was a really good conference we spoke to a lot of people we introduced the podcast to a lot of new folks um, we got a few Canadian, guests on the show, finally. We've had a few in the past, obviously, but we've wanted to continue expanding into Canada as well as the rest of the globe, but really trying to become more of a North American-centric podcast at this point, Um, even though a lot of the topics that we cover are pretty translatable across borders. But nonetheless, um, we are trying to build it out into being more uh, North American-focused and then eventually more global-focused. So just something to keep in mind, I guess, as we continue putting episodes out. But before we get into the episode, I did want to thank everybody that came by the booth at the conference up in Edmonton last week and expressed interest in the podcast or started listening, and maybe uh, maybe you're listening now. Maybe this is the first episode you've listened to, so uh, thank you so much for all the support there, and um, yeah, it was great to meet some some new folks, and it was especially exciting to meet people that I've talked to for the podcast or that I've met online uh, via Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and actually meet them in real life. So I got to I got to chat with Jane Park a little bit. Um, I met Amy Christensen. That was great, um, in real life anyway. <laughs> Obviously, we had met before because we did the podcast together uh, back in June, I believe. But um, yeah, so it was great to meet some folks that I'd only ever really conversed with over Zoom or in DMs or on Twitter. Uh, anyway cannot speak highly enough of meeting people in real life and having conversations in real life. I would highly recommend it, go out there and do it. (laughs) Anyway, let's get into this episode. I spoke with Francis Johnson, who is the forest manager for Alkali Resource Management. Uh, Alkali Reserve is up south of Williams Lake in British Columbia. And I pulled Francis aside, especially because I I really liked the work that they were doing and I, I watched one of Francis's talks and I loved what he was saying and I think you guys will as well. Alkali Resource Management is an indigenous-owned, a band-owned resource management company. They manage a community forest up in the Alkali Reserve, um, and they are doing really cool work that I think is scalable to other indigenous communities, other First Nations communities, um, as well as other community forests, uh, much like what I talked about with Jay McLaughlin back in the spring. So I think this this concept is really scalable, and I really liked uh, what what Francis had to say during his talk, and so I wanted to pull him aside. And so um, this conversation was recorded on... Not professional microphones, really, so it doesn't sound the greatest, but uh, bear with me a little bit on that. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, nonetheless, here is Francis uh, talking a bit about Indigenous stewardship, Indigenous land management, and really bringing that authority for land management back into First Nations and Indigenous hands. So, huge thanks to Francis for coming on the show and for taking a few minutes to, um, <laughs> to chat even more. It's a, you know, the conference thing can be really overwhelming and there's a lot of conversations happening. And so it was really nice of him to be able to come and chat with me even for a few minutes. So without further ado, here's Francis. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: I'm Francis Johnson from Elkley Resource Management, I'm the force manager of for the company. I'm um, also one of three hereditary chiefs in the community, so my traditional name is Tlachomanesk. And, um, yeah, we also have a traditional governance uh, within our community and a firekeeper, a traditional role that was appointed by the matriarchs of the community. Alkali Resource Management uh, manages uh, the Bands Community Forest, so it's about 28,000 hectares. And we also have a First Nations Woodland License, it's about 50,000 hectares. Um, We also, one of our goals is to create employment within the community, so we have about, you know, last year we had 60 people doing uh, field treatments in the community. Uh, We have a pretty skilled uh, fire group, so we have a standing offer for, you know, Type 3 and Sometimes type two firefighters that we run in the community. So, you know, for five five packs, you know, we could be quite busy in in certain time fire. You know, the fire season. We're also trying to build capacity with uh, getting a structural protection unit in, and uh, yeah, we've done quite a bit of work in the community, um, getting uh, fuel treatments adjacent to the community and primary and secondary fuel breaks and. You know, doing field treatments along egress routes from the community cool. itself, and uh, we've done quite a few bids out into Williams Lake to do treatments in 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 and around uh, Williams Lake as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you would be then employing primarily folks from the Alkali Reserve to do those things. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah.
1: Cool. Yep. Uh, we also employ people from our uh, neighboring villages as well, so Dog Creek and Canoe Creek and Williams Lake and Band.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about the firekeeper role and kind of what that entail or what that, what that sort of symbolizes?
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, 2015, uh, the band voted to get out of treaty and, and one of the referendum questions was, uh, you know, do we, what kind of governance structure do we manage ourselves? And 80% of the people wanted some form of, um, traditional governance, so, uh, yeah, with that became, uh, you know, the, the matriarchs were, were a matriarchal society, so they're responsible for appointing the hereditary chiefs and, and the task managers. So, you know, we have uh, hunting chiefs, uh, fishing chiefs, uh, range chief, uh, and also a fire chief. So the fire chief's role is to put fire back on the land, and using fire was a major tool in our culture, and so it was so important that we had a role specifically for fire then you know the the fire frequency is pretty well documented in the caribou anywhere from 15 to 17 year fire frequencies so you know with the tree ring ring data from laurie daniels and, and her group um so yeah the firekeeper's role was is um, traditionally would have been a spiritual person that uh, You know, had, um, gone up into the mountains and fasted and prayed like, so, you know, but also had expertise in fire and knew how to apply it on the land. And, uh, you know, this position was, uh, it was pretty important for the community because we, we had to manage pretty intensely all the, the medicines and plants and, and the land for wildlife and, um, for food purposes as well, so yeah, I think that that's evolved. Um, you know, recently we've we've appointed someone. Well, the the elder women had appointed a person to do that, and right now he's working in BC Wildfire, and he's as a term, but he's uh, his name is Darren Stanislaus, and he's he's a, he's a graduate from Selkirk uh, with a diploma in forestry, um, but yeah, he's been. Uh, we've had a couple burns with BC wildfire where you know there was a ceremony held and he was the one that first put the fire on the land so you know the hereditary chiefs you know would give tobacco to him and and ask him to look after land and put fire so yeah we're we're definitely uh learning that role and bringing back some of our our ceremonies and process yeah
0: that's so incredible. You mentioned a lot yesterday that there's a lot of oral history that informs a lot of these processes. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I think one of the things that we're, we really gained from our elders and is the forest conditions that they want and were historically there. Um, and in an area where there was constantly fire, uh, You know, your, your forest stands were typically very open, more open than they are now. Um, like Dr. Paul Hesburgh says, we're in, in an area where, where, where it's an epi- epidemic of trees and, and dealing with all the, the trees in the, in the forest has is, is given us an el- unhealthy forest. Um, we also have a lot of grasslands and bunch of grass zones uh, adjacent to the community. So it's pretty important that we're burning regularly. Um, the fire keeper also helps to burn within the community every spring adjacent to structures so yeah we definitely have a a group of people that like to put fire in the ground but also you know Darren and the fire keepers role is to facilitate that and to help um, build that expertise and make sure that it's happening every year. Mm
0: -hmm. Can you tell me more about your collaborations with BC Wildfire, for example, and and how those collaborations sort of came to be, um, and and what kind of authority you've been able to take uh, through the resource management company um, to be able to have, I guess, to have more authority in those relationships and those partnerships?
1: Yeah, um, you know, we've had a really good relationship in, in the caribou Fire center. Uh, there's some key people there. Uh, P- Peter Hollub was really imp- important for trying to train people within the ARM to do to be burn bosses. You know, we did start a process. Um, you know, we did push pretty hard, I think, to try and get uh, certification for burn boss training, but you know, it did fall through. You know, the province is working on their own process right now. So we did, um, you know, bring other people in. To the to Elkley Resource Management, uh, uh, Sonia Laverkus is one where we we did she did some training with us and with our, our our people. But uh, that BC Wildfire has been really helpful, and we've got a pretty good relationship with the people on the ground. Um, you know, they're quick to call when there are fires in the community Forest or in our air base tenures. Um, we have a relationship where we're, you know we can sit down and plan pre-planned the seasons before they happen, and they they got connections with the band so Mm -hmm. you know if any arc features are threatened that the bc wildfire knows you know that those are are there so yeah we definitely have a good relationship with all the wildfire assistants as well Mm -hmm. you know we know them in a first name basis and we we're pretty comfortable in calling them whenever you know we we have any concerns from chief and council or from from community members in in general there was also some reconciliation that had to happen because, you know, historically the band didn't have a good relationship with BC Wildfire. You know, back in the 80s, um, you know, our elder Arthur Dick was burning some traditional grasslands and on reserve land. And some of it got away into the forest and BC Wildfire had to bucket and use some retardant on some of the, the fire in the stands. But uh, so, you know, the hel- a helicopter did follow you know, Arthur and the and the fire um, keepers back to the community and told them not to burn anymore. So, you know, there had to be some reconciliation. Uh, there was an apology, you know, by BC Wildfire on site when we did have a ceremony and just acknowledging that, you know, with them telling us not to do our cultural burning was wrong, and yeah. with our elders present, it really melted meant a lot to a lot of the elders and. Um, because we we don't we get a lot of pressure from our elders and people in the community to put fire on the land, and I think we we do push the boundaries quite a bit, but we also get a lot of pressure you know on our side from our client the band who is also a land manager that they want to see fire on the land as, as much as possible because we we definitely know that's that's how we've maintained our ecosystem mm-hmm. at Alkali.
0: Mm-hmm. and the elders um the, the tribe's elders or the, the band's elders do they have stories of using fire in their youth or when they were younger or do, is that a story of fire exclusion exc- like especially for the elders
1: yeah i think uh from our elders uh, remember doing a lot of burning um you know in meadows where they were there were for hay production but also they remember burning uh certain areas for plants to get better growth for berries and for roots and, and and those kinds of things and they also tell us how we used to burn you know from in the early spring they would burn from the river you know up to the snow level and as the as the the snow melted they would burn continuously and it was a safer way to burn um, but you know you depending on the objectives as well so um, yeah, I think, but also just back, going back to the youth, uh, we do some training with the school and bring the kids out. And um, We had a prescribed burn this spring or we did a maintenance burn on one of our, our treatment units adjacent to the community. And So we brought some of the school kids out to see some of that, you know, safely from a distance right. off the work site, but they were they were able to see um, BC Wildfire and the armed crews working together side by side putting fire on the land so it was a pretty pretty positive for the for the kids because they you know they see a lot of their parents or people they see the people in the community so they're pretty good role models and people feel really comfortable with having our crews on the fires you know adjacent to our communities
0: mm-hmm. have you kind of been around long enough to see some of those youth that you saw when you know maybe 10 15 years ago come up and become fire keepers in some capacity themselves
1: I, I wouldn't say I've been around that long you know, yeah. <laughs> since 20 20- not saying you're old I promise yeah. <laughs> Since 2010 you know recent very recently like a lot of our crew members go on to BC Wildfire and we encourage that because we know that they're going to bring that expertise back into the community and you know just this year we had six people that were on the arm crews that ended up at BC Wildfire on in various and the shell attack and uh, you know like local Vesta unit crews. so you know we're very proud of that and we encourage people We're not really we're not holding them back from you know being on staying on the arm crews. we'd like to see them uh, succeed in, in other absolutely. companies as well yeah
0: yeah absolutely and I think it's worth mentioning um, it looks like you guys are established in 2001 I'm curious what the impetus for that was and it's not, uh, like in the States, I've seen, you know, a lot of organizations that do similar work that you do, um, but you guys are a company, right? You guys are like a private company?
1: Well, we're a band-owned company, oh, so... Okay, okay, Yeah, we do a lot of... That's super cool. Yeah, a lot of our business uh, revolves around managing the community forest and the First Nation going on license, and it actually allows us to have a, a larger cash flow to take on a lot of these larger projects, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely uh, we get a lot of um, we have some good governance with a good board of directors, and they allow us that separation, you know, from politics to business, and you know, to operate our forestry. and I think, you know, it feels good to have that confidence from leadership in the band, but also, you know, there is a, a certain amount of accountability with the board of directors, and and just the way we're we're running, alkali Resource Management. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, last question. Do you have any recommendations for other bands that would be interested in doing something similar?
1: Yeah, I would uh, would say the first thing is try to to get an area-based tenure and the proper tenures in your area and to try to build capacity within the band, you know, get key people and if you can get you know, people involved in forestry, an, an art, a registered professional forester would be key, or even someone that, as a, you know, at a d- diploma standard, like you know, become a registered professional technologist, and and those people have expertise and are able to seek out funding for for different things, and also to set up your your business in a way that has a a good board of directors and be able to separate that business from politics, because I know on reserve you know that definitely can get a little bit of a gray area if you, if you don't have that separation mm-hmm. so that yeah that would be my you know my first recommendation yeah
0: that's yeah. great do you have anything else that you'd like to add maybe something we didn't touch on that you potentially touched on in your talk yesterday that you'd like to discuss or anything that comes to mind
1: i think the biggest thing for this conference is was there was such uh there's such involvement with first nations and the local people here and uh, you know they had pipe ceremonies in the morning and there there was some some singing and um, honoring with the ceremonies yesterday of the fire it's fire keepers you know throughout their career so no it's been a really good conference and just you know a lot of people a lot of face-to-face interactions. so it was it was good because I know the last one I did was in 2018 in Ottawa and it was was good to get back at it again and and to make, you know, reconnect with old friends, but also make new connections.
0: All right, that is what we have for you for this episode. Uh, Thanks again to Francis for coming on the show, and thank you to you for listening. Uh, Before we take off here, I want to talk about a few little initiatives that Life with Fire podcast has going on right now. Uh, The first is to Get some submissions for our 2023 Life with Fire slash Good Fire calendar that we're working on. Um, We're going to be doing that again this year, just like last year. And if you contribute photos, you'll be entered into a drawing to win a Mystery Ranch briefcase. So uh, make sure to get those submissions in. You can send them to lifewithfirepod at gmail.com. Please include a caption as well. That includes uh, photographer name, season of the burn, and uh, location as well. I said that I had multiple initiatives that I'm working on, but actually that's it. So that is what I have for you today. Uh, Thank you for listening. And please share this episode with somebody who you think might also be interested in it. And we will catch you on the next one.